0: Good morning. Welcome again to Rise Church. We want to welcome those joining us online, and we're so glad to have you here. And if you are a guest with us, one of the things our pastor says, our senior pastor who is off today, he always says, try us out three times. If you're a guest with us, give us three Three shots because we may be, uh, you know, not getting giving you the best experience one time, or we may be off, and he is off today. So uh, we encourage you to come back the next couple of weeks, as we as that uh, we talked about. We have football Sunday. Uh, we have the start of our brand new series. So we welcome you to come back and join uh, us. Uh, Today, I'm going to be sharing a message with you, and uh, my name is Jason, uh, executive pastor here, and uh, Pastor Aaron asked me to share this message with you. And as we were talking about this, it it jogged something from my memory when I was a kid. And uh, it was going to my grandma's house, and on my grandma's coffee table was a book. It was a big book, (laughs) like with a thick cover on it white, gold embossed letters on it, thick pages, thick pages. And they had gold lining, you know, like where it looks like it's gold on the, on the edge. And in the back were some even thicker pages with artwork. And I remember as a little kid going to grandma's house, saying, what's that book? Before I could read. And she said, don't touch it. Don't, don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. But the more she said, don't you touch it, the more my rebellious nature wanted to touch it. And then I learned how to read. I was an early reader. So it's five. I'm going over there. Don't you touch it. And you know, it kind of As I look back, it's almost like, you know, Indiana Jones. When he goes into the temple and there's like traps and I'm like, is this, if I touch it, is like a boulder going to come out and crush me? Do I need to get like, you know, a bag of rocks or sand and put it on there so I can move it off? But I'd get in there and I'd sneak it open when grandma wasn't looking. She'd fall asleep. Start reading it, and my brother's like, What does it say? It was the Bible. Y'all y'all got that, hopefully, before now I just said that. But you know, they had a reverence for the Bible, but they never opened it. It was like a holy relic, but it was not a part of life. It was almost worshipped sitting on the coffee table there, but it was never open. And it was a family Bible, and it had like, you know, they wrote, you got y'all know what I'm talking about. This is the old school, right? They wrote, like, you know, here's the kids, and here's the grandkids, and you know, if they were today, the, to the great-grandkids, and the great-great-grandkids, and the great-great-great-grandkids. And the Bible means a lot to us today. In fact, as a church, it's one of our five values. We list, if you've gone through next steps or lead steps, you've heard this talked about, where we talk about that the Bible is one of the five, the Bible, our mission, spiritual family, generosity, development. So Bible is right there. It's number one. And we, and we talk about it in our beliefs. One of our essential beliefs is the Bible. And we, we say this, the scriptures are God's divinely inspired words, therefore are our sole authority in life. Divinely inspired. That means God inspired those to write them. And Paul talks about this in his second letter to Timothy, who was kind of a son in the Lord, is the the language that Paul uses in referring to Timothy. And Timothy was a pastor of a church, and he, he writes this about the scriptures. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It came from God. God's words, he says, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's found in 2 Timothy 3.16. And so we have to ask ourselves as we're talking about the Bible, like, what is the Bible? We got a kind of like a little inception thing happening here. We're having a Bible message about the Bible today. We're going back to some basics, and if you've been a believer and a follower of Jesus for a while, you may some of this will be just review for you, but I encourage you to listen with some curiosity that there may be something here that sparks something in you that you hadn't heard before you hadn't thought before. So what is the Bible? You know, when people have a lot of definitions of the Bible, you know, uh, it's the good book. All right, you ever heard that? The good book. It's God's Word. It's To some people, it's like, it's the rule book of life. It's a guidebook. But what is it? I want to break down today what the Bible is, what the Bible is. And here's a statement that I've put together that kind of helps us to, to define some categories that the Bible addresses. So it's this, a collection of ancient writings about God's plan to redeem man compiled for faith communities to bring wisdom through meditation. Let me say that again. I'm going to break that down for you. I know that's a lot. You can write down part of that. A collection of ancient writings about God's plan to redeem man compiled for faith communities to bring wisdom through meditation. So let's just break that down phrase by phrase. A collection of. What's it a collection of? We know that the Bible... Has 66 books. If you know anything about the Bible, it has 66 books in it, or sometimes referred to as scrolls. They were not written in book form, they were written in scroll or letter form primarily. And uh, you can see there we have like a little slide where we break down some of the different types of books, different types of books in there. So we have two main divisions one's the Old Testament, one's the New Testament, Old Testament, 39 books. New Testament 27 books or scrolls. And then within there, there's different types of books. There's different types of purposes of writing. And we're not even going to go into that there was different styles of writing. But you see, like, the, the Bible starts off with the law or the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, we call them also. Then it goes into some history books where it's telling the history of God's people. And then it goes into some wisdom and poetry books. The Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They're they're very poetic in nature. Then it has some prophecy books, which were just basically the writing of these prophets that were bringing forth. And sometimes when we think of prophecy, we think of like, it's always like telling the future, but often uh, prophecy, that was a small part of what they did. It was just really bringing a message from God to the people. And so you see those books. And then we go to the New Testament, and we have the Gospels, which is a type of a history book. But the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the history and the retelling of the story of Jesus when he was on the earth. Some of them go into his birth. You know, John doesn't hardly even mention it at all. They tell of his death and resurrection, and his ministry on earth. Then we have the history of the church called the Acts, the book of Acts, which is just really the first starting up. Here's how the church got its start. Then we have some letters that were also called epistles, and so these were letters written by uh, primarily Paul was the writer of most of the, the, the letters, and really what they were were letters that Paul or Peter or different writers that we, you know, John writes a few there, that they wrote to churches or people, individuals. And it's kind of like we've intercepted those letters and we're reading those letters. There's also one book at the end of our Bible called Revelation, which is primarily a prophetic book. Uh, We'll call it also an apocalyptic book. And which, uh, sometimes when we hear the word apocalyptic, we think like, woo, the end of the world. But it's funny that that's the definition of what we think apocalypse means, but apocalypse doesn't mean that at all in, in Greek. It literally does not mean that. It doesn't mean spooky, scary, end of the world. It actually means a opening of your eyes. That's just a little tidbit extra. That's extra. That's why it's called revelation. It's the opening of your eyes. It's not intended to induce fear. It's intended to induce understanding and wisdom. But that's extra. So, a couple facts about this collection. It was written by uh, anywhere between 35 to 40 people, depending on who you, you know, what theologian you believe there. They were all inspired by God. Some had access to the other writings, some kind of did not. It was written over 1,500 years that it took to compile that together. Uh, just a little tidbit is if you open your Bible now, you'll see verses and chapters. It was not written in verses and chapters. We added that later so that we could locate, and it's just easier to say, like, 2 Timothy 3.16. You can all go to that place instead of being like, hey, uh, paragraph four of the book of T- the second letter of Timothy. Just keep on reading right there and get into the next par- Like, Can you imagine how much longer that would take us to get up here and preach when we're talking about that? take a little bit longer. So that was added to help us. And so this collection of, a collection of what? Ancient writings. Now, I brought with me, this was the very first Bible that was mine that I was given to read. Uh, When I was a kid, I was a bit, well, I wasn't a bit. I was a very nerdy and I loved to read, and I—I w- was already a Bible nerd, and so I had taken all my parents' Bibles. I had read them. I was reading theology. I-, I just was, but they gave me this Bible for my 14th birthday. I finally got my own Bible, and I was so excited. Like that's all I got for my birthday, and I was not upset. Um, I was so excited, like I got a Bible, and this Bible is a translation of the Bible called the King James Version. Now, if you know anything about the King James Version, it was written in the 1600s in England. They they compiled, they translated it into the English of the day. But we went to a church where you were not allowed to use any other kind of the Bible but the King James only. So you can enjoy it today for its poetic language, but for us, you had to read it that way. Because we would say stuff like, If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. The King James Bible is what Jesus used. So we're going to use it too. We don't like that NIV version. That stands for not inspired version. It actually stood for new international version. But then I realized later, You know, when I got about 16, that Jesus did not speak the king's English. So there's no way he used the King James Version. And then it really blew my mind to find out Jesus actually spoke Greek. And I hear people argue about this today, even still today. There's still people who apparently don't know that fact. And I'm not, you know, I'm only mocking them because I was one of them, but I'm like, you know, it's okay to be ignorant for a while, but then when you get information, you don't have to stay ignorant. Right. And so the Bible was primar- primarily written in two languages, the Old Testament Hebrew, the New Testament Greek. It reflect the world of their day. And then there's lots of words that are in another, a third language called Aramaic, which was kind of the people's language. So the people spoke Aramaic. And so even some words that Jesus would use would be in Aramaic, and these were translated into English. And I get this question a lot, and it's like, Pastor Jason, which version of the Bible is the right one? Which translation is the right one? Now, here's the problem with that. Because it was not written originally in English, and it was written over 2,000 years ago if you understand anything about language, language changes over time. Context changes over time. And so there's this struggle to try to get, like, what's the meaning? So when we say ancient writings, we're not saying, oh, because it's old, it means nothing to us. No, 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 no. It's understanding the context that was written in. And, you know... It's always this challenge. If, if any of you are multilingual or bilingual in here, you always know that it's like, there's not always like a word-for-word word translation to say everything. Different languages have, you know, like they say like the Eskimos have multiple words for snow. We just say snow. Stay away from Texas. <laughs> they have lots of words for that. And, and you know, and I remember... A, a few years ago, one of my daughters was in a, you know, a class, maybe I think it was maybe Mandarin or something she was learning, and they had this warning that they sent home to the parents and they made a sign. They said, do not allow your child to use Google Translate to do their homework because it won't be right. It's not going to come out right. It's, it's going to lose its meaning. And I love this guy who, who, who he wrote this back, In 1967, I think this captures the heart of understanding this. His name was Clarence Jordan. He said, imagine someone's writing a letter to their friend. Even think of the cultural context of that. It's like no one writes me letters anymore, except for my grandma at like Christmas. You know, you write the long letter about everything that's happening in the family. I'm like, I saw that on Facebook, grandma. He says, but write this letter. Here's what they would say. Imagine this line. We had hot dogs and coke for lunch, fish, and hushed puppies for supper. Then we sat around shooting the bull until midnight. <laughs> some of y'all are already getting how this is not going to go well. Now, that's even today, it's like you're, some of y'all are like shooting the bull. What does that mean? It just means like you know, you're just chilling out, we're just talking, right? That has even fallen out of like, some parts of the country. You're going to hear that, some parts you won't. You already are starting to see the challenge. Now imagine... That letter gets lost for 2,000 years, gets buried in someone's home. They're, they're excavating, you know, uh, the, the far west side of San Antonio. And in and, and 2,000 years from now, the English isn't the primary language. There's some new language. And some, some doctorate degree, doctor of English is trying to interpret what that is meaning. And so he might interpret it like this. We had steaming canines possibly a small variety, such as the Chihuahua, (laughs) and processed coal. The Coke was probably not eaten, but was used to heat the hot dogs. For the noon meal, and fish and mute, immature dogs, no doubt the defective offspring of the hot dog, which the 21st century Americans were so preoccupied with, for the evening meal, followed by passively engaging until midnight in the brutish sport of bull shooting. And in the footnotes it would say, the bulls were then processed into a meat called bull Now, is that the correct translation of that? So you see the challenge of translating and why there's so much nuance to that. And why there. And so when we're trying to understand the cultural context of Scripture, here's a few questions we have to ask ourselves. What did the writers mean to convey when they were writing this? What was the idea they were trying to get across? What did the original hearers take this to mean? This is a big one for me today. What has it meant for 2,000 years? Where else in Scripture is this idea, command, or principle addressed? Is one of the, 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 the things we talk about in Bible interpretation. Like, find somewhere else where this is addressed. Find somewhere else where this is talked about. Let it be by two or, we say, Let it be by two or three witnesses. Is there another place where this is? Don't just take something out of context and say, well, I'm going to start living this way. I mean, you could take a lot of things out of context. I could play a game about that, but I'm not going to do that. Is there a pattern that's revealed, a theme? Are we starting to see things repeated in the writings? So this collection of ancient writings, what is it about? About God's plan to redeem man. About God's plan to redeem man. We ultimately believe this about the Bible. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Every part of the Bible points us to Jesus. Every part. And Peter wrote this in his letter, what we call 1 Peter, that he wrote to some church we don't know. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. Listen to his idea of how this goes. He says, for you know that it was not perishable things such as silver or gold that... You were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. You start to see history here, right? But what does he say? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. We're starting in to get into the, what we call the gospel or the good news. He says he was chosen before the creation of the world. So in other words, he says, this has been the plan all along. Can you see that this is the story? But it was revealed to us in the last times for your sake. So here's the story. The overarching story of Scripture is this. Is in the beginning, God created. There was creation in the beginning. And we were all, he says here in Genesis 1.31, God saw that all he had made and it was very good. So in the beginning, it was all very good. It was created and it was good. It was good. But then became the fall. And we can go to Genesis 3 and we see the fall. Where God said, hey, you can eat of all the trees except for one, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. In other words, I have here next to the tree that, you, that I'm telling you not to eat, there's a tree of life. You can have life on my basis, or you can redefine good and evil on your own terms. What do you want to choose? And if you understand anything about the world today, you're like, we're still choosing the fruit of redefining good and evil on our own terms instead of life. That was the fall. Adam, Eve ate the fruit. So God had to deal with our sinful nature then. So he gave us the law. First was creation, then the fall, then the law. Galatians says it this way in 3.24, as we're understanding the scripture here and the whole overarching theme. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Other words. The law was watching over us until God's plan could be fulfilled. And the law just showed us we weren't good enough to do it on our own because we just kept choosing the tree of knowledge of good and evil, redefining good and evil on our own terms. So God came, and he had a plan, and it was redemption. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace so we were redeemed Jesus came and bought us back from the power of sin and saved us and then his ultimately ultimate goal here then is restoration in 2 Corinthians 5:18 he says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So in other words, it's like we have been restored to the good of the garden where we walk in God's presence and we're in fellowship and relationship with him. And not only are we supposed to do that, we're supposed to bring others into that. That is our call. So you see that overarching story of scripture. So it's a collection of ancient writings about God's plan to redeem man. Who was it for? It was compiled for faith communities. Faith communities. Now, for centuries, for many, most of the history of the church, we didn't get a Bible for our 14th birthday. We couldn't go to our church and pick up a copy because it was on scrolls. It was rare to have. And so there, for, for centuries, what it was is you'd have to come together, take time to read together together, to listen together, to ask questions, to talk about what it meant in the context of community. Today, I mean, you can get the free app. And it's easily available. And so that's a blessing, right? The blessing of being able to get scripture is, is amazing that it's, it's freely. And you got the Gideons and they, they were giving out the Bibles and they do that still there. You can go to the hotel room and open up. It. They got one in there and you can take it with you. It's not stealing. They want you to take it if you don't have one. And we got the app and it's free and it has all these versions and we get a Bible. And, 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 and here the newer way that we are engaging the scripture is like, The old way was like, let's sit down in community and talk about what it means. The new way is, I'm going to read it by myself and I'm going to come up with my own meaning. Nothing wrong with reading by yourself. I do it too. I read. I read the Bible. I'm not saying don't read the Bible by yourself. But what I am saying is, we have to read it in the context of community, not just our community who that is here, but the community of what the Bible calls the fellowship of the saints. In other words, like going back to like, what has this meant for 2,000 years? And I remember we were doing an internship with teenagers at at the the last church I was a part of. And we would do summer internships where teenagers got to come in and they got to see behind the scenes. And we're pouring into them. We're adding value. We're teaching leadership. We're teaching the Bible. And we're like, all right, we're going to do a Bible study. Everybody open up to Galatians. All right, Galatians 1. And the leader who was leading it, I was in the office sitting in the corner. We kind of had like cubicles, and I'm sitting in the corner, and I hear the kids talking about the Bible. And the the leader said, what does this mean to you? And I just heard the kids talk about what Galatians 1 meant to them. And I was like, ow, it don't mean that. And like you try to be gentle and kind and help, but they had come up with some amazing things that were not biblical that were not in context that had the writer didn't mean that the reader never thought that for 2000 years it hadn't meant that Well Pastor Jason I'm living my own truth. No, you don't get to choose that. It is what it is. And so we have to read it in the communion of the saints and and, and, and this is this is all throughout scripture back in Exodus when they did the Passover Exodus 12, 26, he's addressing this. He says, and when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? You're supposed to define the meaning generational, generational faith. You see this in Colossians. Let's go over to the New Testament. Colossians 4, he said this. He says, it was a letter to a church that Paul wrote in prison. He said, after this letter's been read to you, see that you read the in the church of Laodiceans, and that you read the letter that I wrote to them. So in other words, pass it around. We're going to talk about it all together. It's how we actually got it today. That's how we got the letter, right? Because they passed it on. First Thessalonians, he does it again. He says, I, ch- uh, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter t- and to read it to all the brothers and sisters. So you see, it's like there's a community. There's a community throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, we see this. So this collection, collection of ancient writings about God's plan to redeem man, compile for faith communities. Ultimately, how do we engage it? To bring wisdom through meditation. To bring wisdom through meditation. Joshua 1.8 is one of the places in the Old Testament where this word meditate is found. He says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. It's interesting. He didn't say, keep it on your coffee table. He didn't even say, keep it in your mind. He didn't even say, like, keep it in your heart. He said, keep it on your lips. That's interesting. I didn't put that there. Meditate, he says, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosper- prosperous and successful. We like that last part. Oh, yeah, I'll take some of that prosperity. I'll take some of that success. But he says meditate. And then 16 times in the book of Psalm that David talks about meditation in reference to God's word. And so what does this mean? Meditation in the Hebrew meant this, that you would read it again and again and again and again. And again, and you would pray it out. You would say it out. They would, they would, they would, uh, you know, Genesis or uh, Deuteronomy six. They would start to say that every day, multiple times a day. They would, they would chant it out. They would memorize it. They would speak it. They would declare it. They would pray it. They would rinse and repeat over and over and over and over and over again. It's not a book to where we say, "Well, I read that book." You know, I don't know if you're like me and you got a goal to how many books you want to read in the year. Like, all right, I read it. I'm done. Finish. What I realized this is, the more I read God's word, the more I engage with this, the more I, even this week, I was like reading something, I'm like, how did that get in there? Like, I have a degree in this. Almost like a master's degree in this. How did that get in there? Who put that there? How did he know that I would be going through that? How, does that? how is that speaking to me? It's a living. It's alive. We don't see it on the first read. We have to learn to read again and again. So this collection of ancient writings about God's plan to redeem man, compile for faith communities, to bring wisdom through meditation, meditation, again, in the Hebrew is to go over and over and over. It actually means to murmur to yourself to keep reminding yourself, what does this mean? So now what? What do we do with that? If that's the definition, how do we, what do we walk it out with? Here's, here's a couple things that we want to do for you as we're unpacking this, the Bible find. is if you don't have a Bible, we have some at the info center for you. We'll pick, you can pick up a paper version of the Bible. We want to give that to you. I'd encourage you to go read the book of John. And then when you're done reading the book of John, read the book of John again. And then once you've done that, come talk to me and I'll help you take the next step, right? Another thing you can do if you don't read the Bible, maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I hear you, pastor. I believe the Bible's important too. Maybe you can even go, I mean, you get the Bible app. They have a verse of the day. I would rather a person do this, read the verse of the day, process it, chew on it all day than to read 40 chapters of the Bible and just be like, check, I did it. I'd rather you take one verse and just process it and live it out. Meditate on it. Here's another thing we do. You can write down every verse. I see some of y'all got the pen and paper up in here. Like write down every verse we share here and go back throughout the week and just meditate on it. What do these verses mean? What do these And I gave you a lot of verses today. I went fast. We, in fact, maybe you can't even write that fast. Well, you can go to the Bible app and you can save the event. But we also, on our website, we put uh, 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 during a series we put a discussion guide up there now, where it has all the points and all the verses and some questions you can talk about to meditate on the scripture. We got tools. We got tools. We also have another page on our website, another just step. Let's call Faith Steps. You actually can go. I think we got a picture of it uh, here. No, that's the discussion guide. There we go. If you go to Steps, Faith Steps, we have a whole section of our website where all we've done is gather resources and put them all on one page. We've talked about the five uh, habits of a disciple. One of those is Bible reading, and it just gives you, here's some next steps. Here's some understanding you can have. We actually have a class that's going to be coming soon. We're actually testing it now. Sorry, I only have one spot left, so if you were to go on the website, you could go get that spot. I only have one left. Um, But we're testing a class called Faith Steps, where we actually walk you through the faith steps of being a believer and what God's Word says. Again, I only have one left, but we're hoping in the fall we're going to launch multiple Faith Steps classes to help you take a step. So there's a lot to process through there. And maybe you're here today as we're wrapping up. As you heard that story of the Bible, this unified story that leads to Jesus. And here's what I love about that story. It's such a powerful story because God, throughout Scripture, constantly invites us into that story. I don't know about you, but I've experienced a fall in my life. Where something good was taken away, and I need redemption, and I need reconciliation and restoration to God, because I've tried the law, I tried creating more rules for my life, and just like in the story of Scripture, it just doesn't work. Often times, we we try to just get more dogmatic, like, hey, if I if I be more good, if I give more, if I if I serve more, if I read more, no, no, no. Jesus is the way. So the story is, we are created by God on purpose, for a purpose. To walk with him, to commune with him. And we've all sinned and fall short. That's the story. We miss it. We've missed the mark. And the law is this, we can't be good enough. We cannot redeem ourselves. We are not able to save ourselves. But redemption is found in Jesus. Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And ultimately, his goal is to get us to restoration so that we're walking with him and we're bringing others to walk with him.